A reading from Peter's letter to the early church, chapter two. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So my name's Jason, I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new around here, and I know what you're thinking when you were listening to that scripture being read, you thought, how in the world is he going to wiggle out of that one? <laughs> I have a confession to make, um, and I know you probably weren't expecting to hear anybody like me stand up and say something like this. I have not been looking forward to preaching this message for you. Um, how's that for an introduction? Um, in case you, you missed it and you fell asleep uh, over the past two minutes, um, there are some verses in the Bible that uh, people like me read and go, yeah, really? <laughs> you know. And in fact, uh, we have a temptation to kind of want to skip over those verses. In fact, uh, a lot of us, can I just be honest, a lot of people who do teach the Bible, they do skip over these verses because they just don't want to deal with them. Because when we read uh, passages like the one you just heard read, um, there's some things in there that just sound really, really bad. And really, really offensive. Um, they're kind of embarrassing, quite honestly. And they're at, at the very least, they're pretty complicated. And here's what pains me as someone who loves God's word, who loves the Bible, and who loves Jesus. And and I've been a Christian my whole life. What pains me is that I know a lot of people will read verses like we just read, and they'll go, "See, that's why I don't do the Christianity thing." You know, that, that's why I walked away from it. That's why I'm not a church person. So for folks like me, it's just easier if we would just focus on all the good verses, right? The ones that everybody can agree on. You know, the ones about love and grace and Jesus and how heaven's a great place and all the other good stuff that everybody likes to talk about. But no, not today. Today, <laughs> we're going to sit in the middle of the discomfort for just a moment. 
But here's what I'm asking you to do for me, okay? Would you just give me a little time? Would you just give me some grace? And I think when we look at this from a different perspective, by the end of our time today, I think you'll see that these, uh, these verses, uh, as they may feel a little uncomfortable when we read them at face value, when you look at them in light of the whole of Scripture, and more importantly, when you look at them in the light of Jesus, I think you'll begin to see it differently. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks and you're wondering, so why in the world are you even bothering with this? Uh, we're basically walking together as a community through a, a book in your Bible. It's actually not a book. It's actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and companions during his ministry. He wrote a letter to uh, first century Christians about how to live in the world in which they occupied at the time. And if you sort of drop in into this section like we just did and you haven't read before and you haven't read after and you don't know much about the context of Scripture, when you read the middle of his letter like this, especially in a culture like ours and in a time like we live in today, you get massively surprised by some of the language and in some cases you get kind of offended because Peter does say some outrageous things to our ears. And I know you heard it. The first thing he says in this passage is, hey, listen. If you're someone's slave, you need to accept their authority over you. You need to respect your master. Not just when they're kind to you, not just when they're reasonable. You need to accept their authority even when they're cruel. And he talks about that for a little bit. Then he goes on into the next chapter and he starts talking to women. And he says, and kind of in the same way, if you find yourself married, you need to accept the authority of your husband. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, Peter. Time out. And, and what, we, what we hear in those verses is it, it sounds like, to our ears, it sounds like Peter is giving permission and even giving his approval for there to be a system in place in our world where some people lord power and authority over other people. It sounds like what he's saying is the strong and the privileged ought to rule over the weak and the marginalized. So you can understand how that can cause confusion and cause a little bit of distress. And if that's true, if all that's true, it makes sense why someone would say, well, I don't want to do it. I don't want anything to do with that system. I don't want anything to do with Christianity. If that's what it's about, if that's what it teaches, and I will say this, it breaks my heart to say that throughout the history of the church, there have been Christians who will take verses like these, pull them out, and use them as a weapon. And they will use them to do precisely creating a system like the one I just described to you. And the saddest part is, there are still Christians doing it today. In fact, a little history lesson, maybe you didn't know this, but throughout the history of our country, Christians have done that. And I use that term Christian very lightly when I talk about this. There were, in the pre-Civil War South, to justify the horrific institution of race-based chattel slavery, there were some so-called Christian slave owners, and again, I use that term Christian very lightly, who edited the Bible. Did you know this? They edited their Bibles to emphasize the verses that talked to slaves, but they would literally remove passages like the one, did you know that there's a verse, actually two verses before that verse about slaves that says that all in Christ are free? 
They took that verse out. In fact, they went on and they would literally cut out a whole book in the Bible. Anybody ever heard of the book of Philemon? The book of Philemon, if you haven't read it, it's a fascinating book. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a, a fellow Christian, Philemon, who participated in the institution of slavery in their time. And he tells him, you need to release this man that I'm sending back to you. He, I know he once was your slave. He's now your brother in Christ. You need to let him go. Slave owners in the South pulled that out of the Bible. They took out the verse that says there is no such thing as slave or free, male or female within the church. All are one and the same in Christ Jesus. And they gave that to their slaves, and they called it the Slave Bible, which tells you something. If you have to edit the Bible to make people think it approves of slavery, maybe it doesn't. There's a lot in there about freedom. So I use that as an example to say, what do we do with confusing passages like this? How do we understand them? Well, here's my first point. The first thing we have to do, and the most important thing you have to do when you approach your Bible, is remember one thing, and it's something we say around here all the time. We are Jesus people. Everything must be viewed through the lens of Jesus. What he did, who he is, and what he taught us. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to his followers, you know that the kingdoms of this world like to use power and authority to lord and rule over people. He said that. Now, I don't know about you, but that phrase that Jesus said, the kingdoms of this world using power and authority to lord over people, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot to me like slavery, patriarchy, and misogyny. And Jesus said, that's how they do things. That's how the world does things. That's how they operate. And then he said, but not so with you. Not with you. Not in my kingdom. Not in my way of doing life. Not in the kingdom of God. And then what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus went around in his ministry setting captives free, elevating women, children, the poor, the weak, the marginalized, and minorities. That's what he did. And he said, now you see what I do? This is what the world looks like when the kingdom of God comes. When the kingdom of God breaks through in this world, this is what you find. This is what you will see. And so when we come to verses like these, and they seem like they contradict everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus taught, here's what we have to assume. We're missing something. There is something that we don't quite understand yet completely. So what is Peter trying to say here? Well, let's back up a few verses and look at part of what we learned last week. Peter begins this train of thought by saying, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. He says, look, as followers of Jesus, you and I are temporary residents, foreigners in a strange country. Some translations say we are aliens and strangers. Our way of life is not like the way we see in most of the world. But because we live by the law of love, the kind that Jesus showed, the kind of love that embraces enemies, that turns the other cheek, that goes the extra mile, we're going to have to learn how to live in a world that doesn't always look like the kingdom of God. Notice Peter says we have to learn how to live the Jesus way within a culture that doesn't embrace the Jesus way. And because of that, 
For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free. And he's not trying to be insulting here, but he refers to people who live by the ways of the world and not the way of Jesus as ignorant. They don't know what we know. More accurately, they don't know who we know. And so things are going to look different for us. We're going to have to put up with some things. We may have to suffer for the sake of Christ. In fact, in every single section of his letter, Peter refers to Christian suffering because that's what it means sometimes to live the kingdom of God life while physically existing in the kingdom of this world. And so Peter is talking to believers living in some very specific circumstances. He's speaking to brothers and sisters who are trapped in the first century system of slavery, which by the way, was not particularly race-based. It was a form of debt. If you owed money in the Roman world, the creditor was allowed to enslave the debtor to pay off the debt. And as you can imagine, that system misused and exploited the poor and the weak. He says, for those of you who are caught in this unjust system, love your enemies and serve well for the sake of Christ. And we know from the rest of scripture and from what happens throughout history that the church was not condoning it. Eventually, the church would be the ones who would fight against and eradicate slavery in all kinds of places in the world. But in this moment, in this letter, Peter's trying to help his brothers and sisters caught in the system the best way that he can. He's trying to encourage people who are suffering. He's pointing them back to Jesus to remind them that his way, the way of the kingdom, is not in vain. Jesus is suffering along with you. And then he speaks to Christian wives who found themselves in a system and a culture where they are oppressed and ruled over by a patriarchal system. Many of them were married to their husbands, not by choice, but by financial arrangements. In fact, the word marriage in that culture wouldn't even be considered the same thing that it means in ours. Peter's trying to encourage them to lean into the way of Jesus. And if it means you're going to have to suffer an unjust system for a time, then how do we suffer well for the sake of Christ? Because we as the church, followers of Jesus, we are looking forward to the time when the kingdom of God will come in fullness and power and all of these wrongs are made right. All of the cruel, unjust systems of this world will bow to the kingdom of Jesus. But in the meantime, as we said a few weeks back, we are the first fruits of that kingdom. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We show by our example what that world will be like when it comes. So here we have these confusing instructions given by Peter. And they sound problematic, and quite frankly, they are. But they were meant to be heard as an encouragement to a specific group of people to stand firm in the face of the way things are. Not to endorse the way things are. And again, I, I, I want to keep saying this. I'll admit the church has gotten this confused and really distorted a lot of times in history. But the story of God's people, the one you will find in the whole of Scripture, is not a story where God is establishing or approving of a way of life that places strong people over weak, rich over poor, men over women, or one race over another, so that they can oppress and abuse and just rule over. 
The story of the scriptures is the opposite of that. And I'm telling you, as soon as anybody, any follower of Jesus, any Christian tries to tell you anything different, please understand they have strayed away from the heart of God. They have moved away from the ways of Jesus, and they are not following the way. We reject any of those teachings. Full stop. Can I remind you of something? And I don't know how so many of us Christians missed this along the way, but we did. The system that allows anybody to dominate, anybody to subjugate, anybody to rule over another person, another human being, is a part of the curse of sin brought into this world. It is not a system that God created. It's not a system that God even intended. Let's go back. Because this is a story everybody knows. I don't care how much Bible you know or don't know. Everybody knows the story of Genesis, the story of creation, right? Well, let's go back there. You realize if you read the story of Adam and Eve in creation, that before sin entered the world, before they ate the fruit, before they rejected God, do you know there were no divisions, no hierarchies between people? What you had before sin entered the world was men and women, equal status, equal role, equal responsibility, working together in complete harmony together with God in his world. Nobody ruled over another person. Human beings were co-ruling with God over the earth, over creation. They were stewards of God's world. They weren't ruling over one another. So then sin comes into play. Rebellion comes into play. And then God begins to pronounce the consequences of what has happened. Now, it wasn't what God wanted. It wasn't what God intended. He didn't want it to be this way. God is just describing to them, here's the kind of world that you create when you decide you want sin in it. When you want to do things apart from me, here's what will happen. And so we get what's called the curse, right? And there's a list of verses of things that God says. Here's the curse of sin. And he describes what that curse looks like. And in a specific place, he talks about the curse as it applies to men and women. And here's what God said. He said to uh, the wife, to, to Eve, he said, You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And so many Christians have said, well, there you go. God is not prescribing something here. He's describing what sin and evil do to our world. He's describing what sin does to our relationships with one another. The idea that a human being would rule over or oppress another person was not God's idea. It was not God's creation. It is a corruption of God's creation. It's like when I rode with my 16-year-old when she started driving. And I said to her while we were driving in the car, I said, honey, if you choose to keep driving this way, you will end up rear-ending a car one day. And guess what? Two weeks later, I was a prophet. <laughs> and I was a genius, which does not happen very often as a dad, so I take it when I get it, right? I felt so good that day. But here's the thing. Did I want that to happen? <laughs> I didn't want it to happen. I didn't intend for it to happen. I didn't create it for that purpose. All I was saying was, look, I know some things you don't know. I know the consequences of certain actions that you don't have experience with yet. 
I see where this leads if you continue on this path. So anytime you read the curse verses in the book of Genesis, that's what you're reading. That's what happens in the creation story. When God pronounces the curse of sin and the consequences of sin, he is describing what's about to happen, not prescribing what he wants. And so here's what you do. You start there and you trace that line of sin and that line of evil throughout history, and what do you find? The strong rules over the weak. The rich exploit the poor. Men try to dominate women. And one race starts believing that they are superior to some other race. Because that's what you get in a kingdom that is pledged allegiance to power and control. That's what happens. And you know what that's called? Sin. It is sin. And that is what Jesus came to undo. But, and we don't like to talk about it this way. It's going to take a long time to undo, folks. We are on a trajectory. We are headed somewhere, but we ain't there yet. See, that's why Jesus, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, when Jesus came and he taught about the kingdom, which was his primary message, he used pictures, he used images to help us understand what his kingdom would be like when it began to break through in this world. And so Jesus started out and he used an image of yeast and a loaf of bread, right? He said, my kingdom is like that little bit of yeast that you put into the loaf of bread. He said, you put it in there, and you don't even know it's there. But you give it some time, and you let it work its process, and it works its way through the whole batch of dough, and then you see the effects. Jesus said, my kingdom is like that tiny little mustard seed that if you saw it on the ground, in fact, you wouldn't see it on the ground. You'd walk right over it. You wouldn't even know it was there. That tiniest little seed that you trample on, he said, you plant that in the ground, you don't even know it's there. He said, but you give it some time. You give it a little patience. That little mustard seed is going to grow into one of the biggest trees you've ever seen, you know, biggest plants you've seen. And he said, and then the birds from all over creation will come and make its nest in its branches. Jesus said, my kingdom, he said, my kingdom, it's kind of like a field of wheat. He said, farmer plants a field of wheat, and then an enemy comes at night, and he plants a bunch of weeds in the middle of it. And you wake up one day, and you realize, oh, there's all these weeds growing up amongst my wheat. He said, and what you want to do is you want to go in there and just start pulling weeds. He said, don't do that. Because if you do that, what happens? You pull the wheat up too. He said, so here's what my kingdom's going to do. I'm going to let the weeds grow with the wheat for a little while. And things are going to look kind of wonky for a while. It's going to be bad. There's going to be some bad mixed in with the good, right? But you just go, we're just going to go ahead and let those weeds grow right alongside that wheat. But Jesus said, when the time's right, I'll come gather it all up, and I'll take care of the weeds. See, this is what we feel as citizens of the kingdom of God right now because we live in this world. And there's this thing inside of all of us, and it wants to fight against evil and fight against the suffering that we experience and to take it out by any means necessary, and I get that. I know how that feels. You do too, right? We feel it. That's why whenever I see racism, whenever I see oppression, whenever I see the weak suffering under the thumb of the strong, something happens in me. Something rises up in me. That's the kingdom of God within me. And that's what we feel, and that's what we think. And so when Peter raises these issues in these verses, that's why we feel what we feel. We go, ah, that's not right. That's unjust. 
And listen, I'm not saying that we don't do anything about injustice in our world. No, the church is doing something. I mean, we take action. We put an end to injustice whenever we get the opportunity. But here's the thing. We don't fight like the world fights. We don't conquer like the kingdoms of this world. We don't use power and violence and oppression. Because when we do, we're just participating in the system that got us here in the first place. We reject that system. See, it is then when we have to look to our leader, our good shepherd, our Lord, our Savior. It's when we look to Jesus. And did you notice when we read those verses, that's what Peter does in this passage. He talks a lot about Jesus and his suffering. Right in the middle of that passage, to these oppressed, suffering, hurting people. Remember what he said, verse 20? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Because God called you to do good, even if it does mean suffering, just like Christ suffered for you. He's your example. Follow his steps. You remember the story when Jesus was arrested, placed on trial, and he's standing before Pontius Pilate? Pilate says to Jesus, he goes, why don't you say something? Why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you fight back? You say you're a king. They say you've got a kingdom. Kings fight. Kings rule. Their subjects take over. They conquer. They take what's theirs. What's wrong with you? And Jesus says, you don't know my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. We live by a power, Pilate, you know nothing about. But one day you'll see. One day the foundation of power and authority and violence that is holding up your kingdom, Pilate, it's going to crash all around you. And when it does, my kingdom will be here because my kingdom's built on love. And you can't stamp out love because love don't die. It's eternal. In fact, even when you kill love, it just keeps on loving you and forgiving you and serving you because God is love. So you go ahead and kill love. Love will just keep on coming back. So whenever you come across difficult verses in the Bible like we have today, and you think to yourself, that can't be right. Why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he do something? Why don't they fight and condemn and stamp out that horrible, evil followers of Jesus? We don't need to because we serve a God who took all of that evil onto himself on that Roman cross. He absorbed it, and he has emptied it of all of its power. Oh, sure, death and injustice and racism and oppression, they're still around. They're still hanging on, but their days are numbered. And those who practice them know their days are numbered. That's why they're fighting so hard. And sometimes that means we're going to suffer. And we're going to have to put up some, with some injustice for a time. And maybe it will feel like a long time sometimes. But we know our king. And we know his way of life. It's already won. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to fight. We don't have to go to war the way the world thinks you have to go to war in order to win. We know that the kingdom of heaven is already here. And it is coming to completion one day. We are temporary residents. We live in a foreign land. But we know how it ends. So in the meantime, we hold to Jesus. He is the way. And so today we're going to take a moment and pray on that. We're going to reflect on that. And we're going to allow God to lead us to what we might do next. Ed's going to come and lead us.
while it might not be what anybody wants to talk about, submission is the way of the kingdom. In a world that's driven by success like ours is, in a world that commands power to be on top like ours, in a world where we say the greatest thing we want for our kids is happiness, all of that is so opposed to submitting, particularly to other people. But there's a core verse for followers of Jesus that reminds us the example of Jesus. It comes in Philippians 2. It's written by Jesus' friend named Paul. And I want us to read that together uh, before we reflect. So there are going to be words on the screen and some will be bold. I'm going to ask you to read those out loud. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we are called to submit, to love other people, to give ourselves up in situations where we could stand in power, we know more have, we have the greatest opportunity to stand in the footsteps of our King. Jesus, who was God, very nature God, did not consider that something to be held on to, but he humbled himself. So now is the time that you and I have the opportunity to ask ourselves, what's my next step in that? What's my next step in humbling myself like that? Who's the relationship in your life that you have a hard time just giving up and submitting? Where is it that you have to get your way? Is there some person that's around you that you don't want to serve, that God's calling you to serve? Here's what I know. If they're regularly around you, you are called to serve them. Is there some way God's calling you to take this step of obedience? And I get maybe you're new to all of this as church, and this is a lot for you, and you've heard us talk about next steps several times. Your next step may be just to find out more about this community. Maybe God's drawing to that. Would, would you be willing to do that? What I want to do is I want to give you a couple of minutes just to be quiet and to ask that question. Who is it for me? Where is it for me? What is my next step in following Jesus in this area of submission? So let's take a moment and do that right now.
Heavenly Father, help everybody in this place take whatever next step you're calling them to take. And help us together as a church to follow in your footsteps, to take on the very nature of servants, to humble ourselves, to love others like you loved us. God, that won't be easy, so we need the kind of courage that Jesus had. Move our stubborn feet away from power and help us to follow after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.